Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. I'm Tony, and today is episode 131 of the podcast, where I sit down with leadership expert Tim Elmore. Dr. Tim Elmore wrote the book, Eight Paradoxes of Leadership, after doing 20-plus years with John Maxwell. We have a great conversation today about what and how important a paradox is for your leadership. We talk about faith. We talk about EQ versus IQ. We talk about how all of these things come together to form the secret sauce of leadership. I know you're going to love this dialogue with Tim. And hey, if you do love it, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts, leave a rating or review on iTunes, and be sure to share this episode with a friend. Sharing is the best way to get the word out about what God is doing on and through this platform. Now, guys, if you haven't heard, um, I've fully made the jump over to Spirit and Truth. So now I'm serving at Spirit and Truth um, as my primary uh, calling. That's where I'm doing all the things. You can learn more about Spirit and Truth at their website, spiritandtruth.life. I know you're going to want to hook up with them, spiritandtruth.life. That's a way that you can support the podcast by giving there. And also, we want to invite you coming up to our very own Spirit and Truth Conference. That's right. The Spirit and Truth Conference is coming up in March, and we have a conference code for you. That is right. Go to spiritandtruth.life slash conference, register, and use the word reclamation to save on your registration fee. The March conference is March 17th through the 19th here in Dayton, Ohio. I'll be there. Other incredible speakers like Marion Hayes, Kevin Watson, Rob Ulmer, Matt Reynolds, and so many more. We're excited to connect with you, and I think it's going to be a great event. Come visit us in person. Can't wait to see you guys. Now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Tim Elmore. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited today to have uh, speaker, author, and leadership expert, Dr. Tim Elmore. Tim, thank you so much for being here today. Tony, it is an honor to be with you. Looking forward to a conversation. So I um, did a little research and found out that this idea was born out of a green room experience. And I'm wondering if you might tell us a little bit about that impromptu think tank that kind of shaped the writing of this resource. Yeah, it, it was a green room. This was a few years ago. I sat in a green room before a conference. There were 16 of us CEOs sitting back there before the event, uh, different industries, male and female, old and young. So I decided to turn it into an instant focus group. So I threw out the question to everybody, do you all think leading today is more difficult than it was than when you first learned to lead? And I kind of assumed I'd get a little of both, but everybody to the person, Tony, said, absolutely. Uh, somebody said 110%. <laughs> I mean, they're waving flags, you know, and taking no, yeah. no prisoners. So I, I kind of volleyed back and I said, now that's kind of strange that we all feel this way. One would think it would be harder back when you were younger and didn't know as much about leadership. But every single person stuck to their guns and said, it is harder right now. So that sent me on a hunt. I began to research. I lead an organization myself, Growing Leaders. But I just began to interview folks from different um, companies and organizations. And, and I began to come up with what this book is about, Eight 
paradoxes that I think the, 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 the successful, that's not a good word, the effective leaders today are just practicing what seems like ironic, oxymoronic, paradoxical leadership, where they're juggling two balls that should not go mm. together. But that's what, in fact, is what helps them really, really win. So that's what the book is. So what's interesting is that you started this journey multiple years ago, and here you are releasing it and what yeah. some people would call the most tentious or, you know, a time yeah. in, in leaders, leadership. Um, what, how do you think, how do you think that this book is, is kind of, uh, I would say ordained for such a time as this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I always am trying to be careful not to overestimate the importance of anything I write, but um, I ended up meeting with John Maxwell, Andy Stanley. Uh, others that that all said, "Oh wow, you're on to something here." I don't know if I tripped into it, accidentally mm-hmm. stumbled into it, but um, here's what I know, Tony. If you look at the landscape of our nation today, much less the yeah. world, uh, the team members coming into our organizations are more educated than they've ever been. So you probably have a few more armchair quarterbacks that think they know what to do. You know, <laughs> maybe better than you do. Amen. Nothing bad, but just I know what I'm doing. They're they're more um, they're more emotional, and and I say this not in a, a, a insulting sort of way, but I remember when I began my career, the typical supervisor's mantra was "Leave your personal problems at the door. Let's get the work sure. done." Today, yeah. it's bring your whole self to work, and that's awesome. But their whole self might be emotional, some baggage. You know, let's be honest. We and we care about that. We care about the whole person, but. So there's that. They're, they bring a greater sense of entitlement. Hampshire University did a study and found out that people coming into the workplace today are just feeling entitled to perks and breaks that we didn't 10 or 20 years ago. Uh, so anyway, all of that to say, the team member we're leading expects more from us. And so last year, Fortune Magazine released a feature article called The Great CEO Exodus of 2020. Dozens and dozens and dozens of leaders just said, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And I bet you have some listeners right now that go, I, f- I felt that way, you know, over the last 12, 18 months. So that's what this book is attempting to address. How can we shift so we don't have to step back? We can actually step up and lead the way we should lead. So, so talk to me a little about leaving, and, and this is a little bit personal. I recently okay. stepped out of my leadership role at the church to take on another leadership role for kind of a broader thing. Do, do you feel like, and I, I think I've read this in, in the book, is that this kind of growth accelerator of COVID, is this, is this kind of pushed us all to a place that we eventually wanted to get to anyway, or did it push yeah. us in a place that we never really wanted to go? <laughs> Probably a little of both. If yeah, we, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, right? That's right. That's right. Well, um, I have come to believe that 2020 was the great accelerator. Mm. Whatever was already happening slowly, evolving, it just accelerated. So think about this. Didn't we all say, yeah, we need to do technology better? Well, suddenly we had to do technology better. Oh, yeah. Schools, churches. Uh, didn't we say we ought to do diversity, equity, and inclusion better? Well, suddenly we had to do diversity, equity, inclusion, the protest. One thing after another, the stores that were kind of slowly going out of business because they were only brick and mortar and not digital went out fast. But then you got Amazon and, and, and other companies sped them up. So I think many leaders listening right now may say, yep, 
we got sped up in what was already beginning to happen. And that just wore me out. You know, I, I think there's leaders that are just exhausted and maybe maybe leaning on the Lord more than ever right now. And we should. Maybe this is a good thing. Threw us to our knees. But um, I also believe it ought to make us lead more wisely. We need to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves as we, as we lead in this day. If there's a leader out there that's listening, and I suspect there is, that's um, that's feeling a little overworked. It's fe- feeling yeah. like a, there's no, um, it, it just weariness. It's it's even more than tired. It's like in the bones, you know. Yeah. Um. H- how do we, how do we lean into leadership principles that help us get some of our energy and excitement and enthusiasm yeah. back? Yeah, that's a great question and one that deserves way more than just two or three minutes. But <laughs> I'll do my best to not do injustice to that question, Tony. Uh, one of the paradoxes in the book, in fact, it's the last one in the book. Yeah, I believe uncommon leaders are both timely and timeless. So what they bring to the table is they are looking forward on the horizon and they're cutting edge in their innovation, their ideas, maybe even the use of, of digital technology. But at the same time, we dare not leave those timeless values. You and I would believe biblical values sure. that make us who we are. And I think in today, we live in an either-or world right now. We are so polarized, it's ridiculous. And some of that polarization is, well, think about the two words we hear in politics, progressives and conservatives. Let's pick those apart for just a minute. Progressive is a word taken from the word progress. These are the people that say, we got to make progress. And I agree. Conservative is taken from the word conserve. Those are the people who say, we don't want to let go. or We want to conserve what we were built upon, the heritage. And I bet you listeners will say, yep, I want both. I want to make progress and I don't want to leave behind those timeless disciplines, virtues, and values. So that's the hard thing. How do you be both timely and timeless? Well, my case study on this one, Tony, I have a case study on each of these eight paradoxes. My case study on this one was Walt Disney. Oh, wow. Not necessarily personal faith, but here was a guy. Would you not agree? This guy was on the cutting edge of animatronics and digital technology. And, you know, you go to Disney World or Disneyland, it's the latest. But yet he's often telling stories of the heritage of our country and the virtues of Abe Lincoln and, you know, this, that and the other. And so you go to Disneyland right now. On the left-hand side, you got Frontierland, Adventureland. That's all about yesterday. Then you got Tomorrowland. That's all about tomorrow. So I really think that the best leaders, including our Savior, Jesus, was timely and timely. I'm going to lead you into a new world, but I'm going to make sure we hold on to those things mm. that made us people of faith from the very beginning. Yeah. No, I I, I love that. And, and I think you're probably reading a lot of people's mail right now where they're like, oh, yes, I want to be timely and timeless. And, and I want to live <laughs> yeah. into those paradoxes. And yet at the, at the same time, um, we're asking them to lead a generation that, that had a, a completely different experience growing up than they did. H- yes. How do we become, you know, what's kind of the first step into saying, I want to be a paradoxical leader and not just, uh, I mean, I, I was cut my teeth in leadership in the army. And so I, I believe in a chain of command and Hey, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you yeah. how to feel shut up in color, all those things that we can't say now or yeah. don't, yeah. don't feel as pertinent. H- how do we become that paradoxical leader that, is is both timeless and timely and and all the other traits that you kind of point out in the in the book what's the first kind of step yeah Yeah, that's a great question two things come to my mind immediately one is uh we need to hop on a swing set 
Now, this is a metaphor. Sure. Um, you know, when you put your little son or daughter on a swing set, the first thing they say is, swing me higher, daddy, swing me higher, you know? And you know intuitively that to swing them forward higher, you've got to swing them backwards better. Mm. You know, swinging backwards leads to swinging forward. I think every organization, every leader needs to say, let's hop on a swing set. Let's go backward. What did we build this organization on in the very beginning? What were our values? What were, what problem were we trying to solve? What was the landscape then? And then swing forward. What's the new problems today? How can we retain our mission by addressing those maybe new issues, but in the same missional sort of way? So that would be one, hop on a swing set. And in the book, I, I talk about you know questions for the swing set. Uh, but then the second thing I would I would suggest, and this is a very doable assignment for any listener, practice reverse mentoring. Now, reverse mentoring is actually something that's been around for about 30, almost 30 years. Jack Welch introduced the term for GE way back in the early 90s. If you remember the early 90s, computers were new, relatively yeah. new to the workaday world. And so Jack Welch was the CEO of General Electric. He had a bunch of, I don't know, 58, 59-year-old executives that were not at home with a computer. They wanted to do things the old way. They've been doing it all their life. Sure. But then he had these new MIT grads that totally got the computer. They'd been, you know, using them in college. So he put this seasoned veteran with this rookie together in a mentoring relationship, but not just for the old to mentor the new. It was both. So the veteran would say, well, let me tell you how this organization works you'll benefit from knowing what I have to share. But then the rookie player gets to share, here's, here's how technology works. You know, today we might go, how can I use this latest app to market our company or whatever? So I really believe I've done this now with some of our young team members. It's so fun to swap stories with a 20-something and a me, a 60-something, and, and see value added as we see the overlap of our stories and they're sharing stuff that I learn, and I'm sharing stuff that they learn. That keeps me timely and timeless as I move forward. Uh, do, do you think that um, this needs to be super in, intentional? Do you think it needs to be, do you need to put parameters around it? I mean, we talk all the time in disciple making about how it needs to be yeah. intentional, relational, reproducible. Yeah. What does that look like in the secular workplace, reverse mentoring, or if you're you know, your middle management somewhere and you're an accountant that works for the government. Like how do we, how do we get into reverse mentoring? If, if really we don't, we don't really have a, a huge leadership platform yet. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Then I think you need to look outside your organization. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe not optimal, but you know, who in my life is my nephew or my son or daughter or whatever, you know, that sort of thing. But I tell you, I, I really believe that um, the key is uh, it's one of the paradoxes again. One of the paradoxes is I believe uncommon leaders are both stubborn and open-minded. Mm. Those two don't seem like they would go together, do they? I mean, nope. you just either either one or the other. You say, man, man, that guy's stubborn, or wow, he show, she's so open-minded. But my my um, illustration or my case study on that one was Truett Cathy. You know, the founder of Chick-fil-A. Oh, yeah, Chick-fil-A guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So when I interviewed executive after executive, after, you know, the president and Dan Cathy, his son, 
Um, they all said, yep, Truett was stubborn and open-minded. Dan preferred the term oh, strong-willed and open-minded. That was a little <laughs> more respectful, but it's still stubborn. Yeah. So his story is so remarkable. He had one restaurant for 10 years, not a thousand, one. Mm. And he was tweaking the recipe, not only for his chicken, but for his values. What are my core you know, principles that I built this thing on? And you and I both know they got core principles. Yeah. You walk into Chick-fil-A, first of all, you're not going to walk into Chick-fil-A on Sunday. That's one of the principles. We're closed on Sunday. Another one is you're going to hear the words, it's my pleasure, you know, from 16-year-olds or 60-year-olds. You know, they've got a, a set of core values. So he was stubborn on his values and his people. Those were the two things. What was core and then and then his people. Oh, my gosh. I got to tell you a story, Tony. One of the stories that Dan, Kathy, his son, told me. He said, Tim, I was working for my dad as a teenager at the original Dwarf House restaurant. And my dad told me to get up on a ladder and climb up onto the roof of the restaurant because he heard some noises up there. Hmm. Well, Dan said, I, I climbed up on the ladder and I looked up top and he said, on top of that restaurant were a whole bunch of beer cans. Charlie was the night manager and he was an alcoholic. And he would go outside at night and chug down a six pack and just throw the beer cans up on the roof, thinking nobody would notice. Oh, wow. Well, through it noticed. Dan told me as I climbed down the ladder that day, I thought to myself, there goes Charlie. You know, he's out of here, you know. But instead, Dan said, I watched my dad go in and approach Charlie and say, Charlie, let's go to AA together. Wow. And he walked him through the journey. And Charlie spent the rest of his career there, night manager. But the point was, you would have thought, well, with his values, he would have given up on that guy. No, people are a priority for me. So Truett always, if you walked into Chick-fil-A headquarters and you asked to see Truett Kathy, they take him out of an important meeting so he could go shake your hand. And I thought, that is a guy that knows where he stands. Right or wrong, he knows where he stands. So I just love the people I got to study in this book and, and write about. And I really think the key is we've got to be not either or, but we got to be paradoxical leaders. I, I love the, the the way that you talk about these case studies and obviously your investment uh, um, in them. I, I'm curious, um, which one of the paradoxes was the biggest challenge for you personally? Ooh. Like, oh, boy. How did oh. it impact your life? <laughs> Now you're going to meddling. Uh, uh, no. okay. <laughs> Stepping on toes. Okay. So I definitely have one for sure. It's the first one in the book. And it just, it's number one because it's the one I needed. Have you ever noticed you speak to or write to your own needs sometimes? Dude, that's all I do when so, I preach is preach about my own faults. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so the, the paradox is this. I believe uncommon leaders are both confident and humble. And again, those seem like you get either or, you know, you're either a very confident person or you're a very humble person. But think about it. If you have a leader that's only confident, you start wondering, are you smoking something? You know, <laughs> you can't be that good. You, you know, you don't know every answer here. You know, you're a human too. But if you have only humility and no confidence, I don't think anybody's going, they're going to go, I love your humility, but are we even going to get to the goal? You know? So when you combine them together, it's this brilliant picture. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll put it in a nutshell. My confidence makes my leadership believable. People need a confident leader. But my humility 
makes my confidence believable. I, I see that I, people see that I'm, I'm human and I'm authentic and I'm not going to make stuff up when I don't know. So my, my case study on this one, Tony, was Bob Iger, the recently retired CEO of Disney. Bob Iger, when he took over Disney from Michael Eisner, did not know. He'd never led an enterprise like Disney. He'd never led a company that sold plush toys, animated movies, theme park tickets, clothes. You know, they sell everything. And so he said, when I took over, I had to listen to the very people I was leading. That was humility. But he said, I could not let my humility stop me from leading. So I had to turn around and say, all right, here's what we're doing. You know, and it's like, wait, I just told, you know. So I, I, I was so encouraged and may, may I say blessed mm-hmm. by reading his story uh, because I saw kingdom values in what he was saying. And by the way, here's another piece of that story that was just le- leapt off the pages. Bob Iger replaced Michael Eisner, who, by the way, had gotten kicked off of the staff of Disney as the CEO. The board said he was too arrogant, too cocky, too ego-driven. Mm. Not a good thing to have said about you. And Michael Eisner was actually a good leader, but he was too much of the confident thing. Michael Eisner had been in dialogue with Steve Jobs to try to purchase Pixar, but it was two egos just butting heads oh, wow. all the time. You can imagine. Both yeah. really, really strong people. So Bob Iger comes in. He lets some months pass where he's just getting acquainted with his team. But then he contacts Steve Jobs and he basically says this, Steve, I don't think you know me. I'm Bob Iger. I'm the new CEO of Disney. He said, um, I believe Pixar is amazing. I think Disney's amazing. I just can't help but this. He said, this may be a crazy idea, but I just can't help but think we might be better together. Well, Steve Jobs says, that's not a crazy idea. So notice he's leaning in now, not leaning away. That's not a crazy idea. So they start talking pretty soon. They're meeting together. Next thing you know, Disney buys Pixar. Wow. But here's what I love about it. Here's the confident and humility. Disney buys Pixar. And then Bob Iger, CEO of Disney, puts Pixar in charge of all the Disney animation. Because they (laughs) do that area. Who does this sort of thing? a confident and humble leader. And that's where we got to balance it. By the way, one more, I know I'm monopolizing this conversation. No, it's good. It's good. They're here to, they, everyone's here to listen to you. Okay, not me. Okay. I got to thinking, isn't Jesus these paradoxical leadership principles? Yeah. He was very confident. He set his face like Flint toward Jerusalem. I'm getting there, but humble. He even said, I'm meek and humble of heart. He is all through these eight paradoxes. I thought, oh my gosh, there's the greatest leader in the world modeling this. And we missed it in the Gospels because we're not looking for it, maybe. I don't know. But there it was. Well, I, I think we often look so, at, at, to Jesus as this servant leader and not one that it's it's yeah. easy to put into into the, the commercial world that we live in today. But yet, I think yeah. in these paradoxes, what you see is the uh, I mean, almost, uh, you know, almost the, the Beatitudes, right? Yeah, I mean, you, just, you know, it just kind of yeah. plays itself out pretty well. Uh, I, I did want to ask Very this. True. Um, you know, the, you told the story about Michael Eisner and I, I can identify with that. There have been seasons in my life where I'm, I'm very, uh, stubborn or arrogant or, or both. And, um, I guess the question is, is how do I know if we think about the paradoxes as like a teeter totter, how do I know when I've let one side of the, the teeter totter go up too far and, and how do I pull it back down? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And that's exactly what it is. It's a teeter-totter where at 10 a.m. they may need you to be confident and 3 p.m. they need you to be humble. Mm. And you got to read them before you lead them. So that's answer number one. I've got to read my people before I lead my people. Don't just have this curt answer. You know, I'm I'm this, this answer person all the time. So here's the exercise, Tony, that I'm practicing even now because this is the one I got to work on myself. When I'm in a meeting, I will speak as if I believe I'm right, but I will listen as if I believe I'm wrong. Mm. That exercise alone transforms my posture. So I should be confident. They need me as the founder of this organization to be confident. But if I'm listening to the intern as if they might have something to say, and yeah. the intern's going, oh my gosh, I feel valuable here. Well, that's exactly what I want. So I, I, I try to end each chapter. Well, I don't try. I end each chapter with some practical steps that people can take if that's a paradox that they're feeling weak in, that they might be able to take some real practical action steps to, to get better. Uh, I, I'm curious o- over the years, and you've been doing leadership stuff for a really long time. You spent uh, 20 years with John Maxwell, and he was gracious enough to write the preface for this book and uh, yeah, a beautifully yeah. written. Um, I, I'm curious, like, h- how much did having um, guys like John and some of the other leaders that you're surrounded with pour into you shape the paradoxes as you see them today? W- what's the influence mm-hmm. of leaders yeah. past have on you today? Oh, Tremendous. I, I mean, I I was just with John, hugged him. I have tears in my eyes, and I say, there is no way I can pay you back. Hmm. So um, clearly, I know you believe in discipleship, mentoring, you know, one yeah. life pouring into another. Uh, John practiced something that I have tried to practice. More time with less people equals greater kingdom impact. More time with less people equals greater kingdom impact. So I was one of three or four, maybe, that John just really poured into. I'm talking about 1983. So this wow. is a long time ago. Yeah, I was three I was years right old. out of college. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're no spring chicken either. You're right, you're 41. Uh, Let's I'm go. Totally, that's right. I'm totally kidding you. Um, so I, I really, really benefited from, really, it was on-the-job training. You know, I was working with him, leading a department at first, and then two, and then three. But John really uh, discipled and mentored me as we went along. I watched him. I didn't have to unlearn a lot of bad leadership principles because I got good ones. Yeah. Um, I watched a strong leader. Um, so that was that was uh, no doubt. That was great. My mom and dad were great. They, yeah. you know, parenting is ultimate discipleship. And I, they're both passed away, but, and I miss them to this day, but they were both amazing. And then I had somebody named Sean Mitchell when I was in high school, just take me under his wing and pour into me and teach me to communicate well. Um, I look back and I say to myself, if I don't do a good job, it's my own fault because I had some <laughs> people pouring into my life. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Uh, Tim, I, I know that my listeners love to pray and they love to pray for the people that are on the podcast and for what they're working on. As you send this yeah. book out into the wild, uh, what's a prayer request that we can be praying with you and for you as as this starts to hit the shelves here in early November? Yeah, thank you for asking, Tony. You're so kind. Um, well, one, I wanted to resonate. I know there's people that are in ministry backgrounds, business backgrounds, nonprofit, athletics, whatever. I, I really do pray that people can pull what's relevant to them 
Um, so that's one that that somehow my work, I don't know the person reading it, but I, I'm, I'm hoping they feel like I'm speaking right to them. But I have a bigger one. Uh, this is not public yet, but um, I and we at Growing Leaders have just begun discussions with the John Maxwell Leadership Foundation to merge together. Mm, wow. So um, John is being asked all over the world now by presidents and prime ministers to come and train every circle of influence, education, business, healthcare, you name it. And John has said to me, I'm never, I've never been a next gen guy. You're the next gen guy, you know? So um, we're in due diligence right now, just processing, is this the right move? But I have a feeling it's going to really be a wonderful win-win. And I'm honored to have my longtime mentor even think that uh, I might be able to add value. So I'd love for people to pray that, you know, the right thing happens and um, and that we don't force anything, but that just really falls together, and that a marriage between these organizations could just benefit the world in a great way. I love that, and that's that's an easy prayer request because we're all going to benefit, <laughs> I think, from something like that. So uh, I have one more question for you, but before I ask it, uh, I know that my listeners are going to want to connect to you all over the interwebs. Where is the best place uh, to learn more about you, growing leaders, and to pick up their copy of the book? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give two sites, not one. I know that's against the rules, but that's, I'll put, I'm, I'm uh, going to put them all in the show notes. Okay, <laughs> that's good. So, GrowingLeaders.com is the nonprofit that I lead, and really, it does target the emerging generation. Uh, we teach leadership with images, uh, but then TimElmore.com is the site where you can get the book uh, discounted and with a whole bunch. Of, if they pre-order, there's a whole bunch of extra freebies, like a, a 10 video course that's free that you get with a book to watch and discuss with the team. So timmomore.com and growingleaders.com would be the, would be the sites. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, okay. Last question. I always love to ask people. It's an advice question. And I'm going to ask you to give okay. yourself one particular piece of advice, except I get to take you to a very specific time in your life. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to take you back to the end of your very first day with John, the, the John Maxwell group, your, your very first day wow. on staff working for John Maxwell. If you could go back and talk to that younger version of Tim, what's the one piece of advice you're giving him? Oh, my goodness. Well, there's actually a thousand things I would say, as you can imagine. But I think the top of the list would be, Tim, learn to lead yourself first. Mm. I know that's being said by others, and I believe it. I agree with it. But here's why that was crucial for me. You can imagine getting hired by John. I was immediately thrust onto a large stage, a large platform, literally. And um, I was, you know, right out of college. So there I was in front of these crowds of people. And of course, you want to do a good job, but you also want to look right, sound right, smell right, you know. And I, when I look back, I, I didn't make any major mistakes, but I made mm -hmm. mistakes. And most of them were I was so consumed with how I looked or came across as opposed to saying, let me make sure I'm leading myself first so that I've earned the right to lead other people. Oh my gosh. Um, thankfully I didn't do anything that was horrific, but boy, that would be the advice I would give. Yeah. Wow. That's really good. Tim, thank you so much for your time today, for your generosity, for this resource and for pouring into to young leaders. I, I'm just praying that God does some amazing things through this and just really appreciate uh, your gift. Tony, I'm honored to be with you today. Great to talk. Thanks for having me.
What a great conversation. I love the way he connects the paradoxes to the Beatitudes. I love the growth accelerator of COVID and how he kind of helped think through that. I, I think he think he really helped me get some handles around the tension that we live in today with these paradoxes in leadership. I hope he did the same for you. Also, don't forget, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts, leave a rating or review on iTunes, and be sure to share this episode with a friend. I appreciate all that you guys do to help support this network. And I can't wait to see you guys in March, March 17th through the 19th, Dayton, Ohio, at the Spirit and Truth Conference. Remember, guys, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.